You're tuning into the Real Estate Diversification Podcast, hosted by trusted and experienced real estate attorneys who are also seasoned real estate investors themselves. Are you ready to explore unique real estate investing opportunities? Ready to learn about emerging trends and new ideas? Your hosts will help you understand the practical and legal complexities of a myriad of real estate investments so that you can maximize your potential and achieve financial freedom. Now, listen in and get ready to learn. Get ready to learn. Welcome back, Red Podcast Nation. I am your host, Jonathan Gilmore. Today, we're going to be talking about single-family residential development purchase and sale agreements, aka PSAs. Um, I'm going to kind of just briefly highlight just generally what you're going to want in a purchase and sale agreement as it relates to really any commercial property, but uh, we're going to be talking about two different types of PSAs. So I'm going to run through what they have in common, and then we're going to talk about what uh, unique language and requirements both of those uh, PSAs should contain as it relates to those types of deals. So the first one we're going to look at is a PSA for platted and engineered lots. So this is where the buyer is purchasing lots that have been platted, engineered, approved by the jurisdiction, whether that be the city, a county, quasi-governmental entities. And the property is ready for grading. So in other words, when the buyer uh, takes control after closing of the property, they can start grading the entire property. It could be a farm um, you know, or something like that. The other contract we're going to be talking about is a finished lot PSA. So this is whereby the buyer is purchasing lots, which have been platted and engineered. But in addition to the actual like zoning component, they have been graded. There have been oftentimes horizontal improvements, water, sewer, et cetera, that's already been put in place. And essentially what the buyer is purchasing are finished lots that are ready for vertical improvements, aka the house and uh, utilities specific to that residence. So when it comes to platting and engineering a uh, property, um, one of the really key components, and this is kind of backdrop, and, and, and I'm going to talk about when the seller is doing the zoning, the entitling, the platting, the engineering. But oftentimes it might be the buyer who is doing the um, entitlements on behalf of, you know, really the seller so that the buyer can then buy the property. So this is this specific difference in a contract. The contract might look the same, but for the fact that the buyer is doing the entitlement work versus the seller. This is a heavily negotiated component when it comes to platinum engineered lots. And so I just kind of want to briefly say at the front end, the buyer needs to be thinking about timing if they're going to be the ones who are doing the entitlements, doing the zoning. So what happens if, let's say they ask for a year to get all the entitlements completed and all the approvals completed for um, closing. And uh, so if they have a year, do they have automatic extension rights? If so, for how long? Are they 30-day extension rights? Are they 30-day extension rights three times over for 90 days? Do they have automatic extension rights or do they have to pay for these extension rights? Do they have to elect these extension rights? What happens if the deal dies? Let's say they can't get entitlements approved in the time. Um, like we saw with COVID, a lot of entitlement projects stopped or died um, because the jurisdiction that approved the zoning and the entitlements 
wasn't doing as many, um, having as many meetings or doing as many approvals. And so as such, uh, maybe sometimes the seller got impatient. So who gets the plans, the plats, the drawings, the surveys, et cetera. That is something that you also need to be thinking about if you represent a buyer, if you, if you are the buyer, when you start to enter into some of these contracts where you're going to be doing the entitlements. So that is kind of a real big kind of component to think of. I'm going to be looking at a, a couple of different contractual differences as it relates to platinum engineered PSAs when the seller is doing the entitlements versus finished lot PSAs when the seller or a developer on behalf of the seller is completing the, the lots. So what do these contracts both have in common? Well, obviously, there's kind of the you know overarching higher level contractual provisions. You know, there needs to be an identification of what the buyer is buying, how many lots, how many to be lots, how many to be platted lots or finished lots should there be? Um, what does it include? You know, whereas uh, the platinum engineered contract is going to have, you know, building structures, improvements, rights of way, easements, ingress, egress, uh, oil, gas, mineral rights might be on the table, maybe not. Um, you know, are there uh, additional uh, intangibles that come along with this, whereas maybe a, a purchase and sale agreement for finished lots might just be the finished lots. Um, so that's kind of one of the things we want to address in both contracts, right? We want to talk about the differences, but we also need to address that. Uh, there needs to be addressing uh, the earnest money deposit. What is that? Is that cash? Is it um, a letter of credit? Is it a promissory note? How does that look? Uh, we also need to state the purchase price. We need to call out what the instructions to the title company or escrow agent are. There needs to be a discussion about what the due diligence period is. How long does the buyer have to conduct due diligence? One thing I'll just call out real quick is on a if you, if the buyer is doing the entitlements, that due diligence process may take a lot longer versus a finished lot matter where if you're just buying finished lots, maybe the seller only uh, allows you to have 30 days, whereas you might need months um, to conduct due diligence on ungraded, untouched farm or wooded property. So again, other contract provisions that will be in both, you need to address title insurance, the title commitment the title policy, the title objection deadline. What are the, happens if there are amendments to the commitment? Is there going to be a survey obtained? Well, there probably should be a, a survey, definitely should be on a platinum engineer deal, um, but also there should be on a finish lot deal in my opinion. So uh, we talked about the inspection period time. Uh, what are any other contingencies to closing? And this is kind of where we're gonna dive into to the meat, if you will, as far as contingencies for platinum engineered contracts versus contingencies on finished lot deals. So uh, finally, once you get past the contingencies, you need to address, you know, what happens if the property is condemned? Is the, are there termination rights that the buyer or seller has? When is closing? What are the, what is the trigger for closing? Um, we'll talk about that as we kind of work through the differences. We also need to talk about what is being delivered at closing. Most, in both of these contracts, you're going to have similar items. The deed, yeah, there's going to be an... Revenue code 1445 certification. There's probably going to be any corporate resolutions that the title company requires. There might be a bring down certificate as it relates to reps and warranties. Uh, there's going to be tax uh, statements and or prorations that are into play. There's going to, and, and a catch-all, right? Like what else is, is needed? What else is necessary? With a finished lot deal, there might be an HOA involved. So, you know, you might have 
some form of developer approval rights, builder rights, right? That gives the buyer the ability to cross common areas so that they can build the houses and such things like that. Um, what does the buyer need to deliver? You know, is there are there any affidavits of value that need to be provided? Another contractual commonality between both of these uh, documents, uh, purchase and excuse me, both these PSAs, uh, platted engineered versus finished lots, is you're going to want to have seller reps. You know, you want to have those. A lot of times, these are what are heavily negotiated. Is there? Uh, you know, it, what is the seller promising and saying that how the, the condition of the property, what's it in? Or is there bankruptcy on the property? Has the seller filed for bankruptcy? Are there any improvement lien assessments? Uh, is, is there a default under any other obligation that the buyer needs to be aware of that the seller is in default of, or there is a claim threat of default? Um, is there any criminal investigation of the seller or any of the shareholders or members of the seller? Have all consents been approved? Things like this. Is there the big one? Um, are there any environmental concerns, CERCLA, um, any other hazardous material issues with their property? What is the seller going to represent? Um, is their property in the flood zone? Things like that. Representations and warranties of the seller is key. Uh, other contractual provisions that will be in both contracts, is there a broker involved, right? Um, who has the risk of loss? Is it the buyer or seller? When does that switch? You know, is it at closing? Is it some other time? Is it, are, what are the default provisions in these contracts, right? So if the seller defaults, does the buyer just get their earnest money to back? Do they have an option to file for a specific performance to buy the property pursuant to the contract? Uh, are there damages? Are there loss of business opportunity damages? Things like that. If the buyer fails to um, meet the obligations under the contract, is it just the loss of earnest money uh, for the or by the buyer? Does the seller retain the earnest money um, as liquidated damages? Things like that. What happens if the contract's just canceled for any other reason? Who pays for the cancellation fees? Um, and the like. So uh, there's oftentimes several miscellaneous provisions. There's a notice provision, uh, who wins uh, attorney's fees, who, who receives attorney's fees. Oftentimes that goes to the victor. If this is litigated, um, you know, are there business day, is there a business day clause? What happens if a performance date falls on the weekend? Things like this. What's the survivability of the reps and warrants uh, is, does the buyer have the ability to assign the contract? These are um, sections that are going to be in both these contracts. So we'll, we may do a deeper dive just in, um, you know, what is a commercial real estate contract as it relates to land um, or real estate in general? What does that contain? And, and, and that will kind of be a, a more nuanced discussion. But for purposes of this podcast episode, I want to focus on specifically what does a platted and engineered contract need to contain, in my opinion, um, so that the buyer in the situation is protected. If the buyer has the ability to terminate if, and get their earnest money back, if the buyer, what does the buyer have versus what does the buyer need to have happen for the buyer to buy finished lots? Um, and a lot of times, and I'll just kind of you know, spoiler alert, it has to do with, are the lots done? You know, with the platinum engineered contract, it, like I said, it could be untouched farm ground. It just needs to be zoned. And then the engineer, the, the actual work grading all the way through vertical uh, improvements of the house happens. The buyer does that. 
or they, or they, maybe sometimes the buyer might just be the developer who gets to grading and then they sell off portions uh, of finished lots. So then there's another <laughs> contract. So um, sometimes the buyer might be the developer who's grading the lots and then they enter into a separate finished lot contract within a, you know, a third party home builder. So it may be that throughout the course of a transaction, if you depending on who you represent, you might be preparing both of these contracts for the same client, uh, one on the buy side and one on the sell side. So let's dive into it. So really what I would like to hone in on is a buyer's condition precedent. In other words, if this doesn't happen, not only does the buyer not have to close, and depending on, you know, sometimes it has to happen based on certain milestone dates. Not only does the buyer not have to close, they can terminate the contract and get back their earnest money, uh, which may be substantial in a lot of these development agreements. So what is a key provision? So really, it's the approvals process. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this, I'm going to do kind of a side-by-side -side comparison. I don't have it on a screen. So if you're listening to this podcast, you don't need to worry. Uh, I'm going to explain it and I'm not going to get, you know, too much nuanced in the actual language, but I'm rather talking about it, uh, just generally speaking, what are the differences we need? So this example is that the seller is obtaining the entitlements, getting the, the land to platted and engineered stage versus a seller who is finishing the lot. So when you're talking about a platted and engineered PSA, you want to, in my opinion, address the contingency that the seller must obtain approvals from the authorities. And who are the authorities? Well, the authorities can be the county, the city, really any other applicable authority of what I would consider a preliminary plat. Um, so the preliminary plat is um, based on drawings and engineering. It's submitted to the approving authority, the, the planning commission, and then they actually go through, you have to get it on the agenda. There's discussion. A lot of times neighbors come by and then it is uh, uh, voted on essentially and approved. Now, the, the first stage is that the preliminary plat needs to be approved. In a lot of stages and a lot of buyers require this is not just the pre-plat is approved, but the final plat the recordable plat, the one that if you do a title search um, and you are trying to obtain a title commitment, it actually shows up in the title commitment search. It's the final plat. It's signed. It is approved by the jurisdiction. Let's say it's the county here. It shows 50 detached residential lots. That should be in the contract as a trigger for closing. The pre-plat is approved. The final plat is approved. The plat has been recorded. All the improvement plans as it relates to the property has been approved. And not only have they all been approved, but most importantly, all appeals periods for the approvals are final. They are non-appealable, meaning that they can't get, the bell can't get uh, unrung, right? So once this is approved, let's say some jurisdictions have 30 days after approvals. Closing oftentimes on plat and engineer deals are, let's say, 10 days after final approvals of all of the items I just said. And then it'll have language in there that says final approval means that it's not appealable. So a seller might say, hey, look, we just got the final plat approved. Said, okay, great. Are there appeals periods? Well, there's a 30 days appeals period on, on X, Y, and Z. Okay. Well, then we'll close 10 days after that 30 days runs. So that's something to keep in mind, not just in the, from a drafting um, uh, viewpoint, 
but also practically speaking, if you have a land team or an acquisition specialist who's working through these items, you will want to make sure that that's on their uh, tracker. Also included in approvals needs to be receipt from the jurisdiction, in this instance, the county of applicable utility providers of all the utilities, right? Water, sewer, electric, gas, telephone, cable. Basically, you have Wilsard letters for the property saying that these providers will provide their service to this property. You also need to make sure as part of the um, final approvals process for closing as a closing mechanism in a plat and engineered PSA, that issuance of all you know, local, state, federal permits required for the buyer's intended development of the property and use of the property have been received, including, you know, any environmental, uh, archaeological approvals, uh, endangered species, things like that. Again, these all need to be uh, non-appealable as a mechanism for closing. So that's kind of a big section as it relates to platted and engineered PSAs. The approvals. So whoever is uh, working for you uh, on your behalf needs to understand the approvals process. It's different for several you know, jurisdictions. They need to understand what needs to be obtained for a for you as the buyer to be comfortable that once you close, you can obtain a grading permit. That should be another condition um, to close. But for the payment of a certain fee, a grading permit so that you can start grading the land uh, can be attained immediately upon closing. Again, but for those certain fees. So this needs to be a thought of like, what it, what does it take to start grading? What is the process? If you haven't thought about that, that's kind of where you start. What do I need to start grading on the property? Okay. And then everything that needs to, every dominant needs to fall uh, should as a prerequisite or contingency to closing. If they don't happen, a lot of times uh, contracts like this have sunset clauses, outside closing dates, things like that. Uh, seller has until 10 months from the effective date of the contract to do so, and maybe they have an extension right, maybe they don't. Oftentimes extension rights, even for the seller, are built in because COVID is a great example. Jurisdictions slow down the approval process because they're just not there, right? And so because they're not there, they uh, things take longer. So if that, you know, what who gets what upon closing? So, and in this situation, uh, even if the seller is doing the, you know, if the seller's paying for, I guess that's another thing to think about, who's paying for all of this? Sometimes the seller's processing it, but the buyer's paying for it. So you have to have that discussion. Who gets what in the event that this fails? Who, who obtains the plans? Everything that, ha that you know, the will serve letters, all of those things. Sure, they are property specific, but if the buyer's paid for them, shouldn't the buyer have a contractual right to receive those if the deal doesn't close? Well, it's negotiable, right? Um, it could be really great leverage uh, if the seller, uh, if, the, if the buyer thinks the seller's dragging their feet. Conversely, if the buyer is the one obtaining the entitlements and the buyer is the one who walks with all the, you know, the, the drawings and plans in the event that it doesn't close, that's really great buyer, buyer leverage in the event that they need more time. Hey, look, if we walk away from this seller, uh, we take all the plans with us. And so that's something that you need to be thinking about uh, while you're negotiating these contracts. On the flip side, a finished lot contract is going to have a little bit different approval um, mechanisms. There's really going to be two points. Yes, they have to have approved plans um, obtained. So everything I just said, that's kind of uh, part of the trigger mechanism for closing. Yeah, you have to have appeals periods filed, all of these things. Well, that will most likely in a finished lot deal have happened because 
the build, the seller will needed to have graded the property and to have prepared the property for a finished lot sale. In other words, there's construction that has to happen, right? So you still want to put it in your contract that those approvals have been attained and, and that the seller, in addition to that, has posted all bonds or assurances or escrows with the city, county, or the requisite land development team or group uh, in accordance with the approved plans. So there's a surety component in addition to just obtaining the approvals that has to happen. And all of that, that surety needs to be in full force and effect and should remain in full force and effect um, all the way up and through the applicable warranty period for said bond. So if you have a, a performance bond that has to, that's, you know, ensures that the improvement plans that were approved by the county um, are completed, a lot of times that bond will be, you know, let's say it's a large number, right? $10 million, whatever. Um, it'll be reduced for a warranty period. So, hey, look, all of this is done. We'll reduce the bond to, for, you know, minor repairs to curbs and streets, things that happen when builders come, home builders come on and start building homes. They damage curbs, they damage streets. So there's like a warranty period where uh, uh, the bond may be reduced, but for, you know, repairs of certain things. So the approvals, uh, so as it stands right now, um, there's a surety component uh, for a finished lot deal that may not be necessary as a trigger for the p and uh, contract. In addition to that, um, a trigger for closing under in a prerequisite, a contingency under a finished lot contract is that at the time of closing, the, the seller should have completed the construction and installation of what I would call infrastructure improvements. So infrastructure improvements, um, and, and I'll talk about that in a second, uh, have to be completed uh, for the finished lots uh, for the contract to close. Also, the uh, infrastructure improvements shall have been accepted by not just the buyer, but any applicable authority, governmental authority, the county, the city, quasi-government authorities, um, you know, utility providers. So much so that the buyer, upon closing, should be able to obtain a building permit, not a grading permit, a building permit for a house to be able to build on the property. And then once that house is built in accordance with um, the permit, the buyer should be able to say, I can now get a certificate of occupancy for this dwelling unit that is constructed on the said lot. That should all be addressed in a finished lot contract. Um, some builders don't require that. Um, some, some don't need that. They say, look, if we've got final plat approved, something like that, maybe I don't need to go that far. Or on a P&E deal, maybe if the pre-plat's approved, maybe that's as far as we need to go. But um, I, I recommend taking it through all, all the way through building permit and certificate of occupancy. So that is the trigger. Now let's talk about infrastructure improvements. Like what, what are we talking about when we say infrastructure improvements? And also how does this work mechanically? And that's kind of a, another important part. How does this work mechanically? Um, well, infrastructure improvements just kind of generally, and this should be an exhibit included in the PSA. Like, what is it? What are we talking about? Well, it needs to be the, the lots need to be finished in conformity with approved plans um, that the government approves. 
There needs to be grading and compaction of the lots in accordance with the approved plans. And the approved plans is a defined term. Like, you know, that has to be what, what the jurisdictions um, approved, right? There needs to be oftentimes a pad certification letter regarding compaction conformance, uh, uh, certified uh, by a civil engineer building pad. Uh, and it can be, you know, within a certain elevation tolerance. Um, there should be installation of public sanitary uh, sewer collection systems and, and whatever else is required as it relates to sewers and drainage. It needs to be marked properly as well. There also needs to be a water uh, source and a distribution system. And sometimes in some jurisdictions, you need to make sure as part of the due diligence and, and contracted for that this is also a prerequisite to closing that there are ample uh, water rights. And whatever form that comes in. But uh, so there needs to be an ins installation of a water source and distribution system, as well as water rights for the lots. There also needs to be drainage, retention, surface water uh, um, facilities that are that service uh, the property and, and not just the lots, but the actual property, in my opinion. So any lines, utility lines, mains, service lines, stubbins. And in other facilities, as it relates to electrical, natural gas, telephone, et cetera, that needs to be done. That needs to be accepted by the provider and the city or county or, or whatever the applicable government authority is. You also need to have installation of streets, gutters, curbs, sidewalks, streetlights, traffic control signs. That needs to be part of the finished lot definition of the improvements. And then, you know, if you can get a catch-all like any other improvements that are required um, for, for, for a building permit, if you can get a, a catch-all in there, that's, that's great, but it's nice to itemize some of these things. Uh, storm drainage system, landscaping plans should be, have been approved, and the landscaping, to the extent that they can be at the time of closing, uh, should be installed. Sometimes some landscaping happens at the same time. That's kind of negotiable. Uh, and then finally, the seller has to post all bonds, assurances, letters of credit, warranties, or any other necessary security acceptable to the jurisdiction that we're talking city, county. Um, any assurance agreements um, releases should have been uh, filed in, in the construction installation of monuments, um, you know, medium strip landscaping, things like that. I know I already mentioned landscaping er earlier, but that should also be included. Lien waivers, um, final lien waivers, unconditional lien waivers by the seller subs should have been uh, obtained. Releases should be obtained for that as well. That way the, the, the buyer is not walking into uh, litigation as it relates to uh, either unfinished work or unpaid work. So lien waiver, waivers are um, important as well. So um, if you can get some catch-alls, like I said, that's great. Uh, common areas, the extent they need to be done at that time, that's great as well. Um, it's worth noting that in some areas you need to building permits. There might be a development where um, building permits might be 500 building permits for uh, that can be issued. Uh, so part of your due diligence when you're uh, negotiating these contracts, or at least during the DD phase, should be making sure that there's not a phasing of building permits. In other words, there's not a governor put on or a milestone restriction by the county or city, by the jurisdiction. In other words, the county or the city, excuse me, let's say the city says, um, you know, I've been using county. So the county says, um, once the 101st building permit is issued, we need to ha have a, an amenity center uh, needs to be completed and, and needs to be completed. So we have to think about how many other builders are in there. Are we going to be able, if we have 50 lots that we're buying, um, 
Are we going to be the 101st? Is our first house going to be the 101st building permit uh, that is going to be obtained? And if so, if we go and ask for it, do we have control over our own destiny? Are we able to step in and complete the amenity center? Who's completing the amenity center? Uh, this happens a lot, and I think this is often overlooked. So that needs to be, uh, if, if at all possible, sorted out while you're negotiating the contract. and needs to be included in and addressed in a building permit um, related PSA. So in this instance, finish lots. So um, how do you know the in, in improvements have been completed? Well, uh, the other thing I, I recommend having um, in as an exhibit in a finish lot contract is a lot inspection report. So the buyer's representative um, walks the lot with one of the seller's representatives and it's got a list of items. And then there's a second column where there's, uh, are there any deficiencies? Are there any additional comments? And then the third column is, you know, does the buyer accept? Um, so, you know, you're either good with these improvements or there's more work that needs to be done for the buyer to be accept for it to be acceptable to buyer um, to say, hey, look, the improvements are now complete. This isn't a standalone exhibit. It also needs to have another exhibit that I talked about earlier of what the infrastructure improvements are, because some of the infrastructure improvements the buyer can't uh, approve solely. There needs to be an, a, a jurisdictional or quasi-governmental approval, utilities, city, county, et cetera. Um, in this exhibit, lot inspection report, you know, you want to note the offsite utilities. There should be letters of approval if available base paving, curb, gutter, driveway cut, driveway cuts, um, sanitary approvals, storm sewers, water markers, power, phone, all the utilities, uh, lot grading needs to be acceptable, fill pad certifications need to be measured and acceptable, lot drainage, clearing limits, um, and amenities, adjacent land, and any other comments that need to be uh, included uh, should be included at the PSA stage. That way, there's no question about what needs to be uh, included. So that's kind of the difference for a closing trigger on the finished lot side versus the PE side, which is really mainly the, the approvals. Um, so again, a trigger on the platted and engineered side the contract should be um, a grading permit obtaining. Whereas I just said earlier, the building permit um, would be the trigger um, for a single family PSA uh, that is finished lots. So those are kind of some of the main uh, items that you want to focus on when you're negotiating these. You want to make sure you have proper closing triggers based on uh, what you need done. You need to be able to obtain the requisite permit. Um, and then I think both of the uh, at closing, I think it's important that with both of these types of contracts, that there is some form of a non-exclusive exclusive assignment of plans, flats and other rights. Um, that are signed by uh, the seller, basically saying if the seller obtained these, they're si assigning it over to the buyer. So that the buyer has the ability to have privity or what I would say the ability to sue <laughs> or enforce anything that might have been done incorrectly or misstated or um, not followed correctly to, in the plans and plats or other rights. It's also, if you can get it, it's also great to have the contractor consent to that, the engineer, the architect um, consenting to, um, to this assignment. I don't think that you're always going to be able to get that, but I think it's very important if you can get that. That way you've kind of got out in front of any potential objections in the event that you have to point to plans or plats or some other um, um, drawing 
that might not that, that might be impeding you from finishing your building. Let's say a jurisdiction steps in and you need to say, hey, look, we need to get the engineer back out here. Well, if you don't have this assignment, the engineer could say, well, I didn't do the work for you. I did the work for the seller. And last I checked, the seller hasn't asked me to do anything. So you don't want to have to go back to the seller or somehow like, you know, call the seller in breach of contract or a survivability clause in a contract just to get them to force their engineer to talk with you about what you need. You just have that assignment. So you step into the shoes of the seller. So I think um, those are kind of the real, the key differences that you want to make sure you have um, in a platinum engineered contract versus a finished lot contract. Noting that um, with the platinum engineered contract, if you are the, if the buyer is the party obtaining the entitlements versus the seller, you need to think about, um, again, uh, who has extension rights? Are they automatic? Are they paid for? Is there one? Is there three? How many are there? Sometimes I've seen six, right? It might take six extra months. We don't know. And so you want to be able to negotiate that on the front end because trust me, if you're the buyer and you need extra time and you are, you need, you know, 30 extra days or 60 extra days, and you are getting ready to lose not just your earnest money because you're not you're not able to perform and you didn't negotiate the contract properly. If you're not able to form, the seller has most of the leverage, especially if the seller uh, gets has claim to all of the um, plats and plans and drawings, maybe even a survey, right? So if you don't have that, the seller is probably going to say, sure, I'll give you the extra 30 days. It's just going to cost you $20,000 or $50,000 or $100,000. And, and by the way, that's not going to be applicable to the purchase price. I just want that released to me as seller for my extra time because you're supposed to close on this, you know, six months ago. Um, and I think that that's, a, that's something to be aware of when you're negotiating these contracts. So uh, that's all I have for you today. We might dive into uh, more contract provisions as we move forward. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. As always, invest wisely. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Diversification Podcast. Did you enjoy the episode? Visit www.rediversification.com to tune in to more exciting episodes and free information and tools that will help you succeed. Leave us a review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and our other social media channels at the RED Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Missouri Bar Advertising Disclosure. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.